The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
ago I got to Don and I got to go to the pregnancy resource council or they had a 
banquet. Don mentioned it last week. Well, the speaker, I've got to tell you, what he said has had my mind stirring ever since then. The man's name was David Williams, and he had a pretty good resume. I mean, he'd worked with Focus on the Family. He was the team chaplain of the Cincinnati Bengals. And he talked to us that night for over an hour. And nobody said a word. Nobody moved. <clears throat> he had everybody in the palm of his hand. And not necessarily because he was just such an outstanding speaker, which he was very good. But he talked about things that had happened in his life. He talked about things that had happened to him. He talked about shortcomings that he had. And, you know, one of the most important things that we hang on to as Christians is that through Jesus we are forgiven. Every one of those sins we are forgiven. But David brought up something that has really stirred within me. We're, Jesus didn't just come to forgive the sins that we may commit. But he came to heal the pain that comes from those offenses. Now that right there sticks to every single one of us. We've all had things done to us that hurt. We've all done things that either hurt ourselves or hurt someone else. How do we move on from that? You know, too often we'll... we'll We'll thump our Bible and say, you're forgiven. Well, that's true. But how do we deal with that? <clears throat> I want to read something from Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 14. He says, oh, Lord, if you heal me, I will be truly healed. If you save me, I will be truly saved. My praises are for you alone. Do you know split those in two? It's not just saving us. It's about healing our hearts. Now, I'm ashamed to say I don't have the blueprint to give to you all right now about if you'll just, he'll heal you. But I know how it happens. Jesus wants us to be close to him. He wants us to give him those hurts, and we do that through prayer. Anytime that something has happened that has hurt you, it's really easy to just hold on to it, isn't it? For some reason, we have glorified being a victim. Makes me special. That's not what life was supposed to be. We take that pain, and we'll give it to Jesus. He will heal us. Look over in, uh, it's in John 10, and ten, chapter 10, verse 10. He, Jesus is talking about <clears throat> sheep and the thief that comes to destroy. But re, listen to the last verse of this. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Okay, now this is from the New Living Translation. A lot of us are more familiar with the terms to have life and have it more abundantly. He's not talking about a pocket full of money. He's talking about a heart full of joy. That's what he wants to give. When we take communion here in a minute, and Don just set this up beautifully, when we pray, we examine ourselves, let's take the time to truly open up our heart to God. And let go of those pains that we have. Because I'm convinced that no matter what has happened to us or what we may have done, we can't truly heal if Jesus is not in the middle of that situation. And he's standing there asking us to let it go. 
but we have to give it to him. And we do that through prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the gift of salvation that you provided on the cross. And just as importantly, Father, we thank you for the gift of healing that comes from you and you alone. Help us to examine our hearts. Lord, please soften our hearts and open them and turn them over to you so that you may heal and truly bring us life more abundantly. Father, we praise you for your glory and your power. And we offer this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. The three-act screenplay structure is a storytelling mode that goes back to Aristotle's dramatic theory. It's loosely defined with a narrative, a beginning, a middle, and an end, or the setup, the confrontation, and the resolution. So now you know why all the Hallmark movies feel the same, right? They all follow this pattern. So blame that guy up there. Blame Aristotle. Maybe you've, maybe you've watched a movie before, just caught the tail end of it, right? Or maybe you've seen the beginning and the end, but maybe you took a nap in the middle of it. Maybe that's happened before to us about 50 times. How would you know what happened? Imagine the Bible then as a movie without the book of Acts. Imagine that there was no book of Acts. There'd be questions for sure, right? The first question, who is Paul and why is he writing all of these letters, right? That would be the first question. The second question, how did we end up in Rome? Like, how did we even get there, right? Without this connecting book, we wouldn't know how the gospel spread from 12 to believers spanning the ancient world. Now, I love movies that put you right in the center of the action. I'm going to ask that we do that Today, as we zoom in for the close-up, how did the early church make such an impact? Luke writes like the best action movies, fast-paced, and you're not sure what's going to happen next. Welcome on the lo- online if you're tuning in on the radio and in here. It's a pleasure to share with you as we finish up our sermon series, This is the Way. This quote, um, I've been mulling over since Don said it last week. Train your mind to hear what the creator is whispering, not what the enemy is shouting. There are many voices that compete for your attention, and most of those are in your head. You need to be able to hear what the creator is whispering about who you are in Christ your identity in him. We're going to talk a lot about attention today. And so we're going to focus on Acts chapter 8. If you'll turn there with me, Acts chapter 8, we're going to be coming back to the text throughout the message here. But for right now, if you'll turn to Acts 8 as we begin this morning. And we'll start with verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So, so Philip, this is not the apostle. This is a Greek speaking Jew. He's one of the seven deacons and he begins to share the gospel. This guy is known as Philip the evangelist. His travels are, are chronicled here in Acts chapter eight. What exactly is an evangelist? I'm glad you asked because I'm about to tell you someone who proclaims good news. This is what an evangelist is. In the, in the passage we just read, it says they have paid attention to Philip, but already we see the confrontation because lurking in the shadows is another guy and his name is Simon, Simon, the sorcerer, Simon, the magician, 
Simon has been going all over the area doing these amazing tricks, these amazing acts of sorcery. Says the people paid attention to Simon as well. Simon was being called by the people as the divine power, the Messiah. Simon never bothered to correct them. But now the people are paying attention to Philip. Their focus has changed. And they believe Philip's message because of the miracles that they've seen. They're listening. Many men and women are baptized. Simon's actually one of them, interestingly enough. And Simon follows Philip everywhere. I can just imagine Simon taking out his notepad. He's taking notes, right? He's got magic tricks, but he's thinking in his head, this guy is another level, the things he's able to do. Nothing is as astonishing as the gospel of Jesus Christ, the most beautiful flower, the the most beautiful song you've ever heard, your best day, your greatest success. Nothing is as astonishing as that. You want to see a proof that God is alive. See the transformation in an individual. I'm looking across here and I see transformations of individuals. We are not who we used to be. And that is because of Jesus Christ. Nothing is as astonishing as the gospel. Verse 12, if you'll look at that with me, says, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. When they believed. This is huge. Uh, Samaritans were, were hated. They were half Jewish, half Gentile. They were, they were half-breeds. They were, they were Jews from the northern kingdom that intermarried with foreigners. They were not pure. In fact, in rabbinic Judaism, a Samaritan woman was always considered unclean. There was absolutely no way she could be made clean. But now, both the women and the men are being baptized Believing the message of Philip, Peter and John, two apostles, make their way to Samaria to pray for the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit. There are many rabbit trails as to why this occurs. We are not following any of them today. Okay? This is, this is the one thing that I believe in my heart. I believe that they went to pray over them for them to receive the Holy Spirit as visible evidence to confirm to the Samaritans and to the apostles that they were indeed part of the Spirit-filled body of believers. Jesus Christ is doing a new thing, grafting Gentiles into the body of Christ, into the way. Some call this the Samaritan Pentecost. And the message of Christ is a worldwide gospel. We've got to remember that. We see that, that Jesus' message was for the Jews. But, but then Jesus, which was plan A for all along, had, had another idea. Let's bring all people under the banner of Jesus Christ, uniting them together. The apostles pray over the Samaritans to receive the Holy Spirit, and Simon's eyes go wide. Simon offers money for this power. There would be no limits to what Simon could do with this. When I was reading, I imagined the scene from Aladdin, right? Phenomenal cosmic power, itty-bitty living space, right? That's what I imagined. I think this was the thought process for Simon, But Simon, as soon as he says it, he sees that he said too much. I've spoken out of turn. Please, please pray for my soul. Simon paid attention to the miracles, but he missed the message. How great the chasm that laid between us. We couldn't get there on our own. I don't know about you, but I struggle with perfection. I try to attain it, 
It's all well and good until you make a mistake. You fall short. You're not good enough. What do you do with that? We couldn't cross this chasm. It was too wide. How do you see Jesus? If we were sharing a cup of coffee, not sharing a cup of coffee, that'd be way weird. If we had a cup of coffee and I asked you this question, how do you see Jesus? What would your answer be? What informs your view of him? Maybe even a follow-up question, what or who do you devote your attention to? Simon's attention was on getting ahead, wasn't it? Making that money. He was concerned of the stuff of earth and not the stuff of heaven. What Simon needed was discipleship. Discipleship means you come alongside somebody that's new to the way and you walk with them, right? Iron sharpens iron. You encourage them. You lift them up. You you share scripture with them. You, You talk things out. This is discipleship. Philip the evangelist was not called to discipleship. He was called to evangelize. Evangelism gets a bad rap, but they're both necessary. Evangelism plants the seed. Discipleship grows it, nurtures it, as Holy Spirit leads. So Philip is called to another place. I would, I would like to encourage you to read all of Acts 8 in its entirety sometime this week. Uh, we don't have that kind of time, but it's an amazing, amazing chapter. For now, I want to set another story structure. Turn in your, in your Bibles to verse 26. We see that Philip is leaving Samaria. Verse 26 says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So we start out with evangelism and Philip is, is ministering to the crowds, right? He's ministering to a whole bunch of people. This is the, the, the macro, the, the, the macro account, right? And then micro, we come in close and we see this individual account, the other side of evangelism, right? Speaking to somebody one on one. Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? Acts 1 8. Ancient literature says Ethiopians were considered as living in the ends of the earth. That's crazy. That's the last two geographical spheres that we have in the Great Commission to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, we are not done sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our call is to continue boldly to, to spread the word, the good news of Jesus, this living hope. Philip is given the time around noon, and he's given the place, desert place. And it says simply that Philip rose and went. You see on this map here how far he traveled from Samaria to the desert road leading to Gaza. He didn't know what dangers were lurking. He didn't know what the weather was like. There was no Google to prepare him. He didn't know what came next. He didn't even know who he was meeting. All he knew was the angel of the Lord sent him that way. Back to the movie analogy. We see another three-act structure emerging. Essentially, we're watching two movies in church today. So here's the setup. The drone sweeps over the desert as the cinematographer settles on the close-up of a chariot with more description than most people get in the New Testament. We see an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, 
who oversaw all her treasure. Candace is just queen. It's like Pharaoh. And this Ethiopian eunuch was traveling back from Jerusalem. He came to Jerusalem, traveled over 1,500 miles to worship one way, 75 days by chariot. He was so excited to be there. Maybe this was his first time going to the temple. He wasn't really sure what to expect. But with anticipation, as the days grew closer, as he got closer and closer to the temple, he reached his destination. He walks toward it, and and the place is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. We see the, the baptismal pools. We see the ornate architecture. And the further you go in, the more stunning it becomes. But he couldn't go in. He was greeted by this sign in the court of the Gentiles. The sign reads, no stranger is to enter within the partition barrier surrounding the temple. And whoever is caught will be answerable for his death, which will ensue. It's inevitable. It's coming. You cross the barrier. If you're a stranger, you die. But he's not a stranger, right? I mean, he's holding the scroll of Isaiah. These things are hard to come by. These, these handwritten scrolls. And if he's reading a scroll, most likely he's a, he's a proselyte. He's a, convert, he's a convert to Judaism. He's a God-fearer. But he'll never be a Jew. He'll always be a stranger. I would venture to guess that most of us are Gentiles in this room. A Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. But he's twice the social outcast. A eunuch castrated for the purpose of trusted service in the royal household, whether by choice or force. And the eunuch is at a crossroads in a desert place trying to understand this passage in Isaiah. This is the confrontation but not in the way you're thinking. The eunuch is grappling with himself at the crossroads. Love God, love others. We say this a lot, L1, L2. It's important to know which one comes first. We love God, and when we do that properly, everything else flows from that, and we're able and empowered to love others like he does. The text says, then Philip ran, which is a little weird, right? You're in a desert place. I don't know how many people were on the road, but if you see a random guy running towards your car at full tilt, it's a little awkward, right? He stops right before he gets to the chariot. The eunuch was reading out loud, as was the custom of that day. Philip heard the words. He knew them well. Philip asks a question. Do you understand? It's a good reminder for us as well. As we start evangelism, ask a question. Do you understand? How's your heart? And listen. Listen intently. Start where they are. This is what Philip does here. The eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? I went to the temple. I was supposed to get answers there. Maybe I didn't ask the right questions. In fact, I couldn't even get past the barrier. 
I thought I was going to be able to worship. I I thought things were going to be different. I wasn't really sure what was going to happen, but it wasn't that. How can I understand? Unless someone explains it to me. But I don't see anybody stepping up to explain it to me. And he invites Philip to sit in his chariot. None of this is awkward, by the way, right? (laughs) Random guy running up to you on the road. The eunuch is completely different from Philip in every way. Every single way. And he invites Philip into the chariot. And with no animosity, no hidden agenda, No second thoughts, Philip gets into the chariot. There's a a tune by Steve Camp. I think it was the late 80s, early 90s. Um, Steve Camp's a pianist. You can imagine the the 80s, 90s keys that, that you would hear at that time. And I don't know how that memory came back up in my head as I was preparing today. But it hit me like a ton of bricks. Don't tell them... Jesus loves them till you're ready to love them too. Jesus loves you, but I can't be near you. Jesus loves you, but you're not allowed in this place right here. Jesus loves you, but you're going to have to clean up all of that stuff before you come to him. See, when you say Jesus loves you and you finish it with something like that, it negates that Jesus loves you. Don't say Jesus loves you till you're ready to step up and love them too. Till you're ready to get in the chariot. Let's read Acts 8, 32 through 34. What was he reading exactly? Verse 32 says, Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself? Or about someone else. We read the scripture verse in worship. That came from this passage as well. Isaiah chapter 53. There weren't chapters in the scroll. But this is where he was reading. He was was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And by his wounds we are healed. And the eunuch says, is he talking about himself or is there another guy? Is there someone that could possibly know my pain? Is there someone that could possibly know my story with my wounds, with my struggle, with my brokenness? Can I be healed? I wish that Wayne and I had talked before the communion meditation, but that was spot on. Jesus heals. He forgives, but he heals. And the eunuch is saying, is that even possible? I love the way the message says this. Philip grabbed his chance. He took it. He saw the moment. Evangelism is more than going door to door. It's more than hosting an event. It's about getting in the chariot. It's about meeting people where they are and starting from there. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth overlap. Jesus is the place where we find strength. Jesus is the place where we find rest. Jesus is the place where we find healing. And Philip starts with the scripture. And he reveals Jesus Christ. And this leads to baptism. 
It's interesting, the eunuch's choice of words. He says, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Like, huh? Like, here is water. Hope you can swim. Here is water. Let's go. Here is water. Let's do this. What prevents me from being baptized? We're in the middle of nowhere, man. Let's go back to the temple. The court of Gentiles would be the marketplace. Exchange money, buy animals, and worship. In fact, I read that most of the townspeople would use the court of Gentiles as a shortcut to get from one place to the other. Here's a clip from the temple animation. So imagine, if you were, in the court of the Gentiles, and you're trying to worship with all of this commotion everywhere. People are yelling that their thing is the best and you should purchase this one. People are brushing up against you because they're trying to get somewhere else. You came all this way, 1,500 miles for this. And you try your best to worship. What prevents me from being baptized? You see that little wall right there? It's called a soreg. It's probably about three feet high. Three feet or 30 feet, it didn't matter to him. That's where the sign hung. Under penalty of death, he was never going to cross into the temple. He would always stay and worship at the court of Gentiles with every other person in this room. He was so close. He could see it. But he couldn't get there. How great the chasm that laid between us. That's not the end of the story. The cross has spoken. I am forgiven. The king of kings calls me his own. What are you waiting for today? Are, are you waiting for someone to come in here? Maybe this is a safe, split, safe place to share Jesus. Are you, are you waiting for someone that looks like you, that acts like you, where you feel comfortable interacting with them? What are you waiting for to share your faith? We walk around Walmart, right? And Holy Spirit says, go talk to that guy. And you say, I'm not talking to that guy. And you pull your hat bill lower. This is just an example. I've never done this before. You walk down a couple of other rows and the same guy is there. Go talk to that guy. I'm not talking to that guy. And then you're putting the shopping cart up like every good person does. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and there they are. And finally... Hey, I haven't seen you in a while, man. How you doing? Jesus entrusted the greatest movement of culture in history to ordinary people just like you, just like me. So how do you do it? This is challenging for me too, right? I am an introvert. I, I am. Be where God wants you. Listen. You start with Jesus when you're sharing your faith. Be obedient and confident, not in the things you can do, not in the eloquence of your words, but because of who goes before you, who prepares the heart of a eunuch in a desert place before you even get there. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be willing to go where the Holy Spirit leads. Evangelism is telling the whole world there's hope.
We started with the movie. Now we've seen the resolution, right? The curtain comes to a close. The eunuch is baptized. And Philip is snatched away. Interesting note. Snatched away here and rapture are the same Greek word. (laughs) Philip's gone. Really cool thing. But it doesn't matter to the eunuch. Because joy fills his heart. The cross is spoken. He's forgiven. Jesus has not only forgiven, but he's healed too. And now there's hope for the foreigner. There's hope for the stranger. There's hope for the eunuch. Ever stay past the rolling credits in a movie? If you've ever seen a Marvel movie, you know to stay past the rolling credits, right? There are people that get up every single time and you're like, bro, I googled it, there's three scenes. Stay. This is that part. We've got one more thing after the resolution that is going to happen. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 56. You know, he was reading the scroll of Isaiah when he met Philip and, and he headed back home. I wonder if he picked up the scroll maybe, maybe some days later and continued to read from where he was. I wonder what happened when he got to this part. I wonder if his eyes welled up with tears. I wonder if he he felt a love like he had never felt before. I, I wonder if he knew intimately who the suffering servant was. He didn't have a name before, but now he knows this man is Jesus Christ and he has been pursuing him. And the eunuch picks up the scroll. And he reads verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths. Who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. As the the team comes up, we imagined that there was no book of Acts Now, I want you to imagine that you are miles from home. You are coming back from the temple. You are sitting inside the chariot. You are wondering in your darkness if there is any hope for you at all. The damage had already been done and all you have left are broken pieces. You have no resolution whatsoever for what has happened to your current situation. And you're left there conflicted and hurting and broken. Now imagine someone coming up alongside you. They are listening to your cries for help. And they say, are you good? How's your heart? And you invite them into the chariot. And they share the love of Jesus Christ with you. The day began with no hope with no direction, with little to live for. And it ended because one person was bold enough to speak the name of Jesus to you with hope, with salvation, with forgiveness, and with healing. Don't tell them Jesus loves them. Until you're ready to love them too. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.